0: 100.7 FM WHIN 1010 AM presents Sumner County Spotlight, a weekly public affairs program each Sunday at 10 AM. Sumner County Spotlight, exclusively by FNM Bank. 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville, FNM Bank offers personal banking, business banking, and mortgage loans too. Right here in Hendersonville, FNM Bank is one of the top independent banks in Tennessee. Member FDIC equal housing lender. MMLS number 518158. Here's your host for Sumner County Spotlights, Tony Richards.
1: Good morning, Sumner County. This is Tony Richards on Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you each and every Sunday morning at 10 o'clock right here on WHIN by F&M Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville, and also on their website, myfmbank.com. Come check them out today if you would. Our first guest this morning is John Isbell, the Assessor of Property for Sumner County. And John, good morning. How are you today?
2: I am doing well. Good morning to you.
1: Good. We are uh, social distancing over the phone. <laughs> Absolutely. And I know everybody's getting a little tired of that, but uh, you, you have a job where, you know, you you can't stay at home all day. You got to be out and about and and uh, you're always out working. So why don't you, uh, if you can maybe just tell us a little bit about yourself, how long you've been in Sumner County and all that good stuff, and where you're from originally.
2: Sure. I, uh, I've been here since 1976, uh, moved here with the family. Um, my father was a highway patrolman, so he got transferred from Memphis to Jackson to here, and uh, this, was, uh, this was the final transfer. So uh, I had the fortune of uh, being raised in Hendersonville since 1976,
1: and oh, to so you've gotten to, you've gotten to stay put and missed most of the moves, then, huh? Absolutely. <laughs> well, that's good. So you know the area like the back of your hand. I don't. I don't suppose anybody, John, grows up thinking I want to be an assessor. <laughs> so how did uh, how did that all come about? Where you know where'd you go to school and and uh, where'd your career path take you?
2: I, uh, of course, went to public schools. I was uh, the second graduating class out of the Beach High School.
3: Oh, uh, where okay. It's
2: located today, so uh, that was in 1982. Went on to MTSU. I've got uh, my undergrad degree in uh, finance and then my MBA in finance. Mm-hmm. And I'm in the process of completing my Ph.D. in public policy.
1: Oh, good for you. Well, that'll be. we'll start calling you Dr. John then. Is that okay?
2: <laughs> yeah.
1: <laughs> um, well, John, uh, so what are some of the career paths that you took after, after MTSU? What, what did you end up doing?
2: Well, most of my work's been done in the mortgage business,
1: mm-hmm.
2: so I've done that in insurance uh, pretty much all my life prior to, uh, prior to being elected in 2004. Okay. So I've served as, a, as the Sumner County Assessor of Property since 2004.
1: Well, I, you know, I'm trying to figure out where to begin because a heck of a lot has happened since you first took office. Um, man, there's just, I'm sure it's not even, you know, if you would have told yourself in 2020 that you'd be, uh, or in 2004 that you'd be looking at everything that's gone on and the growth and then the subsequent pandemic, you'd be like, what?
2: <laughs> oh, it's yeah, it, it really is remarkable. I remember coming into office, in 2004, and our big thing was to get a fax machine. Uh, yeah. And now, uh, you know the technology that that uh, we have to have to be able to keep up with the market and uh, and the different methodologies for valuation and all that. Uh, it's just it, it really is remarkable how much it's changed over the years.
1: So, John, you're in a in a, a position that you know you get. I'm sure you're going to get. Criticized, no matter what you do. Um, that's just kind of part of the gig. Um, you probably knew that going in. Um, but do you do, I'm assuming, do you do all properties in Sumner? Is it commercial, residential, like the whole thing, or how does, how does that work?
2: Well, we do all of the real property in Sumner County, as well as tangible personal property, uh, which is the business filing that uh, the businesses do throughout Sumner County. Uh, the only thing that we don't value are uh, state assessed properties. Uh, those are your public utilities and so forth. I see. Uh, they're done centrally uh, by the state, the office of state assessed properties. So we do all of the real property in Sumner County, mm-hmm. and uh, that's between the real and personal property. It's a little over eighty thousand parcels.
1: Wow. So as you assess these things, and for, you know, most people, they don't know how any of this stuff is done. They just get their bill and, and you know, uh, deal with it. Um, but I'm sure, I mean, have the systems changed since you first started doing this, or is it, is it a similar way that they calculate this kind of thing?
2: Well, it's through what they call a mass appraisal uh, technique, which uh, is computer-generated. Uh, What we do is we have all of the sales, we collect that information, we collect all of the attributes of the property, uh, you know, what type of property it is, acreage, and all of that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And then we have to do statistical modeling to be able to ascertain the values. Um, Kind of put it in perspective, uh, we have to value roughly 72,000 parcels in a matter of 120 days. Uh, we have the reappraisal process that goes on for four years, and then the the work that leads up to that. But the actual modeling will uh, will be from January one until we send out the notices in mid May.
1: Well, oh, so, man, that uh, is uh, that is a whole lot of ciphering. You must have computers working twenty four seven on that stuff.
2: It's uh, yeah, we're constantly modeling and fine tuning the model and uh, doing sampling. Uh, all of that's done throughout the process, mm-hmm. and, and then we come up with what we call the final value, and that final value we meet with the state of Tennessee who has oversight, uh, sit down with them, they go over everything, we go over everything, we check the statistical uh, parameters that are set by uh, both the state and the International Association. Uh, if everything meets those benchmarks, at that point we send it to the public. Uh, right. I've always said the public has the final say of any revaluation, uh, and that's through the informal and the formal appeal process. So we give them the opportunity to look at it and call us and talk about it.
1: Yeah, and, you know, it's interesting. It's, a, I'm sure, an ever-evolving thing. Um, nothing is a perfect science, and not every parcel is exactly the same for whatever reason. I'm sure over the years um, you've probably had to make adjustments both positively and negatively, depending on maybe you get called out and and you want to go out there and just take a look at it, at it. Um, have you had to do that kind of stuff over the years?
2: Oh yeah, yeah. We uh, you know we're mandated by law to review every property during a reappraisal. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, if they're appealing a property or have a question about it, um, typically we'll go out and review the property. Uh, if it's if it's a newer home. You know, we don't do it as much. Uh, it just depends on the situation. Mm-hmm. Uh, of course, we get all the building permits that come in from the cities and the counties, so we have to attend to those and, and value what they add to the property during the reappraisal year as well.
1: Wow. Um, how many folks are in your office, then, doing all this stuff?
2: Uh, we have 18 people that work the office right now, mm-hmm. including myself.
1: For 72,000 properties. (laughs)
2: Plus, yeah, plus another uh, 5,500 tangible personal property. Yeah. So So, we uh, have the mapping department and uh, mm -hmm. and our personal property and then our field review. uh, That that covers about 18 people.
1: Well, has um, technology, I'm assuming, has even in, I mean, 2004 to me doesn't seem that long ago, but I know it's been 16 years. Uh, things have changed a lot with computers and mapping and all of that. Has a lot of that been helpful to the assessor's office? Oh,
2: yes, most definitely. Uh, you know, our GIS programs, uh, since since coming into office, we developed the GIS enterprise system, which uh, gives us the opportunity to collaborate with the cities and, and other entities, utilities, and so forth, and we share data. Uh, that was my first project when I came into office, was to develop that, and
1: uh, and that isn't it, that something the public the can kind of snoop uh, around in? Is not the uh, isn't the GIS something the public can snoop around in at all and look at maps and plots and things like that? Sure. Okay. Uh, and the reason I ask that is uh, my brother's our engineer here at the radio station, and when we were first buying the station, you know, they had a tower site, which is a little piece of land, and it has a a building, and then you know there's and you know as you're looking maybe to purchase a business that has property and you're looking for something you can uh he was very helpful he's like oh yeah i just hop on this thing i can find out whatever i need to know and so i'm not sure a lot of people know that's available
2: yeah that that was our first project that rolled out um so it rolled out in 2007 and and when that project at the time when it rolled out we were recognized uh, by esri which is the world's leader in mapping uh, as one of the top 150 sites in the world for uh, the information that we were pushing out to the public.
1: That's phenomenal. Well, you know, Sumner County, you know, land-wise doesn't change. <laughs> I mean, it's it's the same as it's been for millions of years, I'm assuming, uh, other than moving a little dirt around and putting buildings on them. So some things, do they, they stay static in that system and other things change a little bit?
2: Well, as, as you see, the farmlands start to get subdivided. Sold off and and uh, subdivided into individual pros, uh, parcels, and you start to see more neighborhoods coming up. That's your big change. Yeah, uh, you'll see land being moved for that, and of course the commercial. Uh, as everything grows, that's that's what moves.
1: But, Is there yeah, any trends? The boundaries oh, stay oh, go the ahead. Same. Sorry, go ahead. The boundaries stay the same. You said, but the you know yeah. changes hands gets parcelled off. And, that,
2: yeah, all the yeah. changes happen.
1: Yeah. But it's nice that, I mean, you know, geez, if you don't keep up on that, you got a heck of a mess on your hands. Absolutely. So. Yeah,
2: we we have mapping that, you know, we put on parcels. Uh, we'll probably put on a 1,000 new parcels this year.
1: Man, so are there trends, as you guys kind of watch this stuff, and I'm assuming you work, like you said, with the state and, and other states and assessors all over the country, and there may be consortiums and, and meetings and things that you guys are constantly getting together to discuss – are there red flags and things to look for um, as these things progress and, and communities change?
2: Uh, you know, the main thing that, uh, as far as residential, not a whole lot. Uh, you know, we typically will keep up with the market as if there were foreclosures. You know, back in 2008, mm-hmm. uh, you had the uh, issue with foreclosures. Uh, that's something that we had to monitor closely. Uh, natural disasters, you know, we, we attend to those. Uh, but probably the most important thing is uh, how the commercial properties are being valued. Uh, there are new valuation models that that, uh, that come up all the time and we have to stay abreast on that, so we're constantly taking classes uh, to, uh, to learn new valuation models and going to national conferences to, to learn more about this through seminars. Mm-hmm. So that's the biggest thing that we deal with is commercial.
1: Well, I always like talking to public officials that that know, you know, the people are the ones who drive the train. You know, they're the ones who will be vocal about it. If it's not what they feel is in their best interest, they can vote people in and out of office, et cetera, et cetera. And um, so just this week, as a matter of fact, uh, a few days ago, uh, Mayor Cooper in uh, in Nashville said, you know, hey, we're going to have a 32% uh, property tax, and he's going to ask for one or whatever. And I think as a taxpayer, and I, you know, people get a little afraid to ask questions, which I'm sure you wish they would ask more if they're, you know, not intimidated by, you know, your position or anybody that's in a a, a representative position. But you know, I do want to pick a segment. Uh, maybe the next segment we can talk a little bit about kind of how you come up with this. I think some people think that. Well, just because the government's spending all this money, now we got to cover the costs. Why isn't the government lowering their costs? And where's the where's the fine line there, and all of that stuff? So, but you know, you're not just throwing darts at a board. I'm sure there's lots of logic and reason, and like you said, models and calculations that you're you're constantly going through. So, um, you know, I, I know you're in Sumner, and we can't talk about Davidson. But you know, when somebody drops a bomb like that. I had somebody say to me today, "Hey, uh, you know, they're just asking for that so they can get twenty, and twenty doesn't seem as bad, <laughs> or what? I, you know, I don't know. You know how it is. There's everybody has an uh, opinion. So, what? Any thoughts on that kind of? I know it's kind of a all over the place question, but you know how? You know, I guess I just don't know when people say something like that. What is the expectation of the uh, the voters? You know?
2: Well, I, you know, I can tell you from a policy perspective, there's always An element of the bargaining process Um, I don't I haven't looked at their budget I haven't looked at their taxes so I I couldn't say that Mayor Cooper is doing something of that nature Um, I know that here um, you know we have during reappraisal I will propose a certified tax rate everything that I do has to be revenue neutral Mm -hmm. so as the assessor of property whether I'm in Davidson County or Sumner County Uh, the work we do is revenue neutral. So Mm -hmm. once we finish our reappraisal, we may go up, as we did in this last one, on average about 35% in value. Mm -hmm. But what I do is I turn in a certified tax rate that's approved by the state, and uh, that one lowers that that tax rate by the amount to generate the same revenue. At that point, the county commission or Metro Council they have to take in consideration the expenses that they need uh, to provide the services that the citizens expect and then apply a tax rate to fund those services. Mm-hmm. So it's while it's complex in nature, it really is pretty simple. Uh, it's just, you know, how many services or how much of a service does a citizen want?
1: Well, and all along the line, there are people in uh, the state house and there's people locally that you can vote in or out if you're not liking the way things are going i'm assuming you know absolutely so there's lots of moving parts here so we're up against our first uh, break john john Isbolt, the uh, assessor of uh, property in sumner county uh, is who we're talking to this morning and we're going to come back john and talk a little bit about kind of all the different things you do look at as you assess any kind of property is that cool
2: Absolutely.
1: All right, Look we're going to come back in just a little bit here, more on Sumner County Spotlight brought to you by f Bank. Thank you for joining us this morning, and we'll be right back after these messages.
0: f Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, f Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com.
1: And we're back this morning for Sumner County Spotlight, t- talking with John Isbell, the assessor of property for Sumner County. And John, uh, it was a very interesting first segment. And, y- you know, a lot of people's like, whoa, when I'm going to talk property values, my eyes are going to glaze over. It's like discussing insurance or something. But, you know, I think it's important that people learn how it is you do what you do. You've been at this a while. You're not a rookie. And can you walk uh, folks through... The, the process of actually looking at this stuff you're looking at thousands of pieces of property you can't do that one by one there's obviously models and things that have to be done but for the average joe like me you know what what goes into what you're doing
2: okay well we have reappraisals under a five-year program uh, we have the option of doing a four five or six year and sumner county currently is under a five-year model mm-hmm. so the way we do this is first four years all of our field men are out reviewing properties. Uh, they have a systematic approach, so you can call in and if, uh, if you see our vehicle out there, we can tell you if it's us, we'll know exactly what map they're working on. Mm-hmm. But uh, we'll have that systematic process of recording all of the attributes of that property.
1: Well, that, that right there, I think, is an important piece because I think sometimes people see that and they're like, well, wait a minute, you're treating me different than my neighbor. You know, you've, these are the mm-hmm. same <laughs> um, calculations, right. I'm sure.
2: Yeah we, we, uh, we, yeah, we do our very best to, to uh, look at every property and just record what's on that property. Um, mm-hmm. And then we also, we've got another department that's recording every deed that's transferred in Sumner County. So we're collecting all of that data. Uh, Then in that fifth year, as we start that process, on January 1, we put all of that together and go through the statistical modeling process, building land models and and, uh, our lake properties, all of that to reach a value that we present to the citizens. Uh, Then the last part, which starts in May, is uh, the citizen's voice. As soon as they receive, every citizen will receive a card that has that new value, and then they'll bring that to us. Now, when they bring us that card and they start talking about it, one, we don't try to talk about taxes. Uh, Generally, they'll come in and say, well, my taxes are too high. Mm -hmm. And I'll say, well, my taxes are too high, too, but I can't do anything about it.
1: But you're looking at property assessment, which is a little value is different than taxes.
2: Right. We have to separate that. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we talk about the value. Now, when we talk about their value, we move away from that mass appraisal methodology. Now we're talking about a single property appraisal. And so if if you've ever looked at an appraisal you'll read the section on there, they will state, that appraiser will state, this is an opinion of value as of this date. Mm -hmm. Well, our opinion of value is as of January 1, for this year, it'd be 2020. So you would need to validate that value, you would need sales from 2019. Because obviously you can't use sales that happen after your opinion of value date. Mm -hmm. And that opinion of value statement is very important because... If you take three appraisers, just for example, and you send them out to that property, you're gonna come back with three different values. They're, all three of them are gonna look at it differently, do different line adjustments, and so forth. So you will never have a absolute value of a piece of property. And that's, this is the only uh, constitutional office, it's the only government office that deals in so much subjectivity. Yeah. as far as delivering a service to a citizen. Right. And that's so it's, a, you know, it's
1: an art form, voice. but you also have to have those models and that, that, uh, the actual data to do the best you can with the science and the, you know, the subjectivity, like you said.
2: Right. So we come up with the best value we can with the different information that, with the information we have at the time. And once a citizen comes in, they'll bring in something else. Uh, we deem that evidence they'll bring that in and we'll say, okay, well, that attributes to the value so we can adjust it going forward. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's, it. that's how easy it is, It's just a call or email. Uh, if you go to our website, um, we just posted for, uh, uh, for the informal process uh, that's to email us your information and that way we'll just email you back, that way you don't have to come in the office. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're trying to limit the public exposure in the office. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're not saying you can't come in, but we're just trying to limit it as we reopen on May 1st.
1: Well, I do think people, you know, because taxes are um, predicated on assessments and different things like that, I think people think that, as you would imagine, and you're a taxpayer as well, that once taxes are created, they never go away and they never go down. (laughs) So over your tenure of 16 years, has anything ever gone down or is it always going the other way no matter what?
2: Um, Well, uh, for the first time that I've ever seen, we've seen the values go down uh, from a previous reappraisal. We saw that in 2014. Um, But as far as a tax decrease, no. uh, I've never seen them lower the tax rate in a given uh, uh, political cycle. Mm -hmm. Uh, Even when when I give them a certified tax rate, Even if they accept that, that's not a tax decrease. Some of them will say, well, we lowered the value by this, uh, lowered the tax rate by this, and that's not true. They're misleading the public. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's basically the revenue-neutral rate. Mm -hmm. And that happens uh, quite frequently, that they just adopt a certified tax rate.
1: So those are just more political-type posturing things? Exactly. Okay. Um, Okay, so I was uh, trying to think of the... uh, the other place I wanted to go where uh, somebody's got a question and they've got a dispute or they don't know, like you said, you want to limit time in the office, but um, people tend to get pretty ticked pretty quick if they don't like what they see. So in the last year when this thing came up and it was up a bit uh, and it was, you know, obviously very vocal about it. um, If you do these things every five years is, I know you're constantly assessing property, but, As these things roll out every five years or so, um, do people forget everything that can change in that five years? Because a heck of a lot can change.
2: (laughs) Well, you know, the most common hurdle that we have to get over is the fact that most people think we changed it in one year Mm -hmm. uh, because, you know, they saw the value last year and then they saw it jump by 30% this year. Uh, They don't understand that that value has been in place for five years so that's the first hurdle we have to jump is that no this isn't a one-year jump it's a a uh, it's a, a an increase over a five-year period and so you've had this growth and you figure Sumner County we've had a growth somewhere around five to six percent per year since 2014.
1: Yep times five you're in the ballpark then. It's not. So,
2: yeah.
1: yeah, it doesn't and, seem to be, rocket science. It seem to be rocket science. Doesn't seem to be rocket science when you put it like that.
2: <laughs> Appraisal cycle.
1: I'm, I'm sorry. sorry. Go ahead. What was that, John?
2: Well, that was one of the reasons why I've been trying to tighten up that reappraisal cycle. I've been an advocate of doing a a two year reappraisal cycle uh, because one, it levels out the budgeting criteria uh-huh. for uh, uh, for the county commissioners and the city leaders. Uh, gives them a more stable number to budget by. It gives the citizens a more stable number because they're not seeing those 30%, 35% jumps.
1: Yeah, they're not uh, getting sticker shock.
2: Or So it takes away that sticker shock.
1: Yeah, that's, uh, that's not a bad idea. Do you think more and more uh, counties will start adopting that kind of thing? I mean, that, that seems pretty smart to me.
2: Well, it really it depends. Uh, there are several counties that are interested in it. Uh, it. It depends on just how vocal the assessor is with the public.
1: Or is it more about if the community's changing a lot? I mean, nobody could argue that Sumner has not just exploded in the last five years or even a couple of years. Um, but there are other counties that aren't probably seeing that kind of growth, so maybe they don't need something like that. But that, that seems like uh, a move that would help both the commissioners' budgets and also the taxpayers.
2: It, it certainly would, especially in a high growth area.
1: Does it cost more to do that every couple of years, though? I mean, is there an expense along with that? I'm
2: Just a little bit. Uh, what the increased cost is is in postage, uh, because if we do it every two years, we have to notice the public um, every two years rather than once every five years. So it will it'll raise the cost to the public. Um, I think that will be offset a little bit by a reduction in the appeals, Um that helps us if we do it through the informal process uh, that keeps uh, the appeals to a minimum
1: uh, I see yeah. board. that makes some sense so tell me about online options I mean uh, yeah we all get our our cards with red ink all over them and it freaks everybody out uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but is uh, how's the online part I mean is there a way to modify that and just send them um, not everybody has access to the internet but a heck of a lot do and I'm wondering uh, do you do both is a uh, I'm sure your website you can go pay, I'm sure.:
2: Yeah, as far as appealing your value, uh, you can just email us your information. Uh, we are rolling out some some new tools. We're upgrading our uh, valuation system and uh, rolling out some new tools that will help us going forward. Um, but uh, our website's the best option. Uh, we, have, we have the GIS. Uh, we also have our copper program that uh, we're working on rolling that out to the web uh, as soon as we can get budgeting for that. Uh, what that does is that gives the citizens the opportunity to build their own appraisal and mm-hmm. uh, and really understand what properties are going for in their neighborhood.
1: So last year was the the bigger shock, and now we're four years away from this happening again, unless something changes. Is that kind of how that works?
2: That's correct, yeah. Okay. it. Uh, yeah, unless some catastrophe. I mean, the, the county commission's passed a five-year, so our next three appraisal's in 2024.
1: Man, I bet it gets a little weird from about three and a half years to five years for the county when they're trying to budget for this stuff.
2: Oh, yeah, especially with the, with the sales ratio studies yeah. that are done in second and fourth year.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh,
2: that's a whole other line of uh, of discussion, but uh, that has significant impacts on city and, and county budgets. Yeah.
1: Well, you're certainly an important cog in the wheel, and we appreciate you taking the time and enlightening us a little bit about the whole process. John, thank you.
2: Thank you. I appreciate you having me on.
1: Um, So one more question. If they want to get a hold of you or they've got a question about their assessment or they aren't sure that it was assessed or maybe they're new to the area, any uh, uh, contact info you could share with us?
2: Sure. Yeah. You know, they can call our office at 615-452-2412. Or they can go to our website, sumnerassessor.org, and that has all the information on there. And it gives you a lot of background as to the appeal process and how we value and uh, the current tax rates for different cities and and the county. So there's a lot of information on that site as well.
1: And don't forget the GIS, which is a really cool tool.
2: Yeah, the GIS, if you want to go look at aerials, we have different layers, so if you want to look at flood layers, uh, you know, different things like that, uh, we have all of that on there, so that's a, another wealth of information for sure That's students.
1: exactly right. You don't want to buy a piece of property that you think has to have flood insurance and find that out at the closing. <laughs> you
2: <know>? Absolutely, and <laughs> yeah. a lot of that's changed since the flood of 2010.
1: So, yeah. so do your homework.
2: Form-
1: <laughs> all yeah, right, yeah. well, John, thanks again for spending the time with us. We certainly appreciate it.
2: Yes. Take care.
1: All right, you too. That's John Isbell, the assessor of property for Sumner County this morning, our first guest on Sumner County Spotlight. We're going to come back with more of the program right after these messages and our show today brought to you by F&M Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and also at myfmbank.com.
0: FM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com.
1: Good morning and welcome back to Sumner County Spotlights this morning. I'm Tony Richards, your host, and our program brought to you by F&M Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard. Also at myfmbank.com. Guest number two today, but uh, number one in your heart, Rick Murray. Rick, how are you this morning?
4: I'm doing marvelous, Tony. How about you, my friend?
1: I'm doing well. Rick is a local uh, storyteller and photographer, and uh, if anything has happened in Sumner County, I know you've seen Rick. You might not know his name, but <laughs> you've definitely seen him, because <laughs> you're at more things than anybody, I maybe even more than the mayors
4: have been at. I'm not sure. Well, I try to make as many events as I can. There, uh, Lately, that, that's been a little easier than it normally is because of the slowdown to the pandemic. But uh, there are times of the year where I feel like I'm, I'm drawn about 50 different ways at the same time. But. Um, I just feel we've got so many great stories happening uh, in Sumner County that need to be told, and uh, I want to be the one telling them.
1: Well, Rick, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself first before we dive into kind of the things that are going on, because if it's an event, a news event, or even just a community get-together, fireworks, whatever, you are there, and I'd like to eventually figure out how that came to be and why it's you and how long you've been doing it. But first, why don't you tell us a little bit about yourself where you grew up and schooling and all that exciting stuff.
4: Okay. I'd be glad to do that. I kind of have an eclectic past. So I grew up in Nashville, went to the original Cone high school, left there after graduation, went to Cookville, graduated from Tennessee tech where I met my wife, Debbie, um, earned my bachelor's and master's there. Then I came to Gallatin, uh, to work at the old Ar- Donnelly plant, which closed a few years ago, I was there—I don't know, 17 years or so—in in manufacturing management and information technology. Then I left there and uh, started up a IT and management consulting practice in Nashville. Mm-hmm. Uh, during that time, um, I re- began to—excuse glad- me—gradually realized that since we were my firm was affiliated with a CPA practice that if I was ever going to uh, make partner or move up in in the ranks, so to speak, I needed to become a CPA. So at 44 years old, I went back to school, finished an accounting degree at MTSU, and took the CPA exam and passed it. So I did that for a while. Uh, After that, I went to work for a couple of banking clients, and I had various roles from chief information officer to chief financial officer. Mm -hmm. and then retired four years ago uh, to do photography. At the end of the day, photography has always underpinned all those things because while I've changed from one career vector to another, I've always been a photographer at heart, and I've always liked to write. So when I decided to to, uh, retire, it became the logical thing for me to do. I had already created my business, Memories by Murray, in 2000, I believe it's 2005, as a side business, and I knew that I would go crazy uh, as a retiree with with nothing else to do, so I decided, let's take that full-time and see how it works.
1: And it's worked. And when when, when was that? What year was that?
4: 2016.
1: Okay. When I well, retired. you know, mm-hmm. it's a not your typical storytelling photographer path, that is for sure. So you're clearly very versatile with the left brain and the right brain, and you had a career... Using the numbers and accounting and IT, these are all very systematic and uh, important things. But you must have always had this creative burning uh, and uh, you know outlet on the on the right side of your brain.
4: Well, you, you're exactly right because I realized a long time ago that whenever I was preparing spreadsheets or presentations for um, financial um, uh, meetings and so forth. I worried less about getting the numbers right. I knew I was going to get the numbers right. I was more concerned with the presentation. Uh, how <laughs> I was always going to in actually you. It. <laughs> it was, it was. Hey, am I going to have the most colorful graphics? Am I going to have the most <laughs> exciting, non boring PowerPoint presentation? So, yes, I. I, I, I you never might had have been the
1: only reading. CFO in the country thinking about that then. Because <laughs> uh, I've been to some of those probably, kind of meetings. No. And. Uh, they're not exciting. So if you could if you could make that exciting, you are a hero.
4: <laughs> yeah, it, it, uh, it, it was all I could do. You know, it was take one for the team.
1: Yeah, yeah. Well, okay, so this has been an interesting path. So I'm assuming over the years you've always, you know, done it, learned. I mean, photography is not something... You know, your average Joe can just come off the street and start doing. I mean, I guess they could, as long as they know which mode is auto. Um, but other than that, it's uh, you know, it can be tricky and uh, intricate and important to get the right shots at the right time.
4: Well, timing uh, is is pretty much everything. Practice, understanding your equipment, understanding uh, its capabilities, and perhaps more importantly, its limitations. But understanding your subject uh, is extremely important. I actually. Began uh, One of my first jobs in high school was at a department store running a camera department. Oh, okay. So my love affair with cameras goes back quite some time. Uh, Interesting side story, when I was six or seven years old in elementary school, my class took a field trip to the Hermitage, and I got to take my parents... Hawkeye Brownie camera with oh me.
1: man yeah. And
4: while all the other kid, while all the other kids were excited about being out of school for a day and going to, going to see someplace new, I was more concerned and fascinated with with the camera than I was anything else. And I realized at that point in time that uh, that wasn't going to change anytime soon. So when I had a chance to take that job in high school, I jumped all over it. And you know, which leads to the question: Why didn't I pursue it at the time? Because I met my wife in college, I wanted, you know, start a family sooner or later. Mm-hmm. And at that time, I wasn't sure that I could monetize it. I wasn't right. sure how to. to make I'm not it work. sure
1: any photographer really, you know, if if you go into it trying to monetize it, that's really not the right reason to go into anything. But if it's your passion, hopefully. Um, a few things happen, and like you said, timing is everything. Then maybe it could go well, and I'm sure you're well, doing fine. But at least you're not under the pressure of having to do it because you're retired.
4: No, 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 no that 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 does that does make it easier. But you mentioned the word passion, and out of all the things I've done in my life, writing about things that are going on in in our community, photographing those things, just just trying to tell our story. Is probably the most passionate thing that that I've ever felt that way about. It's it just it seems to have always been in me to want to tell the story. Now, I don't want to be the story. Uh, let's let's get that straight. Right. But I want to be near the story and make sure that that I I can tell it in a way that um, that people can understand it and can relate to it.
1: Well, it sounds to me like journalism would have been uh, a good choice as well. I'm sure you would have done just fine. <laughs>
4: Well, I I do a little bit of that now, too. I I write for several different outlets, write for a magazine, write for newspapers, and thought about it, you know, even when I was in college, and one of those times when I was thinking, I'm not sure I want to major in business, or I'm not sure I want to major in this, and, you know, it's one of those things that I looked at, Tony, but it's just, uh, I don't know, I, I think I had to find my own route to get there
1: yeah well let me ask you a question this is kind of a strange one and i don't want to dive too much into photography yet because i think there's sort of a bigger global picture here with the things <laughs> that you've done in the area and uh the gifts quite honestly that you've given the community and i'll speak specifically about one thing that has that touched me and i still remember very vividly um later in the show here but um So back in the day where, you know, there were mechanical cameras, everything was mechanical, you'd have all of these dials and different things that cameras still have, even though they're all done digitally. Um, Did learning on those types of cameras make the transition to digital for you a heck of a lot easier because you knew exactly physically what it was doing?
4: Absolutely. Uh, And I'll I'll give you an analogy. Um, I have pretty good computer skills to this day, and I attribute to that to learning how to program computers in high school and college on punch cards. It's mm-hmm. the same analogy. If you learned on manual cameras back in the 60s or 70s and, and the film days,
3: mm-hmm.
4: you you just transfer those skills over to new, new gear, just like you would transfer the punch card skills over to um, a, a new Mac or a new Windows machine. So, it, right it, you it know it's interesting uh,
1: when you when you can see the actual physical way it works, and I'm not sure you know kids that learn this stuff digitally it just seems to give you a little deeper insight when you know how it physically worked
4: it, it, it does, and having a backroom uh, and darkroom experience also helps
1: mm-hmm. yeah
4: uh, particularly in the post processing helping you master the software but uh, that being said, the ability to Instantly see whether or not you got the shot
1: that yeah. you
4: hoped that you got. Yeah, um, it's priceless. It is. So yeah, because you
1: never really knew. You'd have to take so many and then come back and develop it and wait for That's, it to dry absolutely. and get under the right lighting. <laughs>
4: And then you realize, oh, it was not in focus. Everything was right, but it was not in focus. And everything
1: was manual. Yes, exactly. (laughs)
4: But now, uh, that being said, I still shoot 95% of the time fully manually, even on my Mm. my DSLRs.
1: That's kind of cool, I I I think. My own
4: shutter speed? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess when it comes to things like that, Tony, I'm a control freak. Because I want the absolute best quality out there. And I don't feel like the camera is going to give it to me uh, in and of itself.
1: Right, right. And, you know, it, it's it, with the experience, uh, I think you can do that. It's probably sort of innate by now because you've done it so long.
4: Absolutely. Yeah.
1: Okay, so tell me a little bit about, uh, we've got about five minutes before the end of our first segment here, but um, so you cover a lot of things, um, news events, but you also cover other events, I'm assuming people hire you you do private things you do things uh, for the newspapers how how did how does that all work
4: sure actually you what you've seen of my work that's published is probably only 35 40 percent of my work in a typical year a lot of a lot of it goes unseen because it is for private clients I have several large corporate clients Mm -hmm. that I do headshots uh, group events things of that sort for the special events that they do uh weddings i do a few weddings each year i do um uh senior portraits you know a lot of those typical things that you would uh, you know expect a full service photographer to do i don't do studio work mm-hmm. uh any longer and quite frankly very few of my photographer friends do either right uh, it, it's right. something that we've kind of moved moved away from
1: you know when somebody decides I, to oh go ahead
4: no what I was going to say is that those things help, you know, they basically pay the bills, but mm-hmm. I derive the greatest satisfaction out of photographing events because I get to, to meet new people. I get to, to learn about them, and and it uh, it's just more enjoyable.
1: Yeah. Well, it's interesting because if people call you for a specific family thing, um, a wedding, an anniversary, mm-hmm. uh, maybe a family that just hasn't gotten together and really wants to get some great... Pictures by the lake or wherever, um, it's kind of an important thing. I mean, do you feel that or has it over the years gotten a little easier? But to me, you don't want to mess that up.
4: (laughs) I don't worry about any photo sessions that I do um, to any great degree except for weddings. Right. Because
1: very, very, there's only one time and you can't goof it up.
4: (laughs) You got it. You know, if I'm doing that family portrait session that you're describing by the lake, I can I can do enough looking at the screens and looking at interim shots to know, yes, I've got this. I, I know exactly how this session's going. It's, it's flowing. I always shoot with multiple cameras, with multiple cards in those cameras, so I don't worry so much about losing the images. But the weddings... I'll right. be perfectly honest with you. That's why I don't do very many of them because I think I have to de-stress two or three weeks after every one of right. them that I
1: do. Well, it's funny because I've bonded with lots of photographers over the years, having done a couple hundred weddings myself, playing records back in the day. Uh, oh yeah. And it is uh, it is stressful. There is no question about because you do not, you know. But I've I've learned, as you might have, uh, that it's all about the bride. <laughs> I just like <laughs> as long as she is happy and content. That's what matters, you know. It, you it, can it even really get into is. it's funny because you can even get into some in the middle of some family disputes. One person wants, oh, well, wait a minute, <laughs> It's
4: like that, don't that, don't put that me that in the middle, buddy. <laughs> and, yeah, that has happened, and that's beyond the scope of this program. But <laughs> yeah, but, I don't miss. I don't miss wait, that. <laughs> well, you know, the funny thing is, most of the the weddings that I do are small to mid-sized weddings, and I would say. You know a bridal party of maybe twelve and then or or less, and then maybe 100, 150 people in attendance, mm-hmm. which is yes yeah, yeah, that's, that's a moderate size, yeah, but a lot of the brides they they plan everything out except they don't hire a wedding planner, right, so it ends up the day of the the wedding itself, I end up filling in as a de facto wedding planner, but somebody has got to keep them on time. Somebody has got to make the shots that they've already agreed to have it made happen. I think people can can get a new
1: uh, empathy for brides because that's the day where they're supposed to just enjoy it. And if they've done all the planning, I think they've got that on top of everything else, and I'm sure they'd rather just enjoy it.
4: Well, you know, most brides I don't think truly enjoy any aspect of their wedding until as— as they're in the actual ceremony itself and it's over. At that point they can start to breathe because the the magnitude of what they're doing stares them straight in the eyes early in the morning when they're getting ready.
3: Right. And
4: it, it uh, they need somebody, whether it's a, a professional wedding planner or event planner or their photographer, whomever, somebody to offload that stuff to. Yeah. And and yeah. make sure that, that their day goes as they want it to go.
1: All right, well, we are talking with uh, Sumner County photographer, storyteller Rick Murray this morning. We're up against our first break, and you know, i got to tell you, Rick, it's been nice talking about something other than a pandemic for the last month or two. Uh, (laughs) We're actually just talking about life stuff. It's great. (laughs) So I'm hoping everybody listening is enjoying that part of it, because I know I am. We're going to come back and talk a little bit more with Rick right after this here on Sumner County Spotlight on WHIN. Thanks for joining us this morning.
0: FNM Bank presents Sumner County Spotlights. Since 1906, FNM Bank has been serving Middle Tennessee with first-class products and services. Visit them today at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville or myfmbank.com. And we
1: are back with Sumner County Spotlight this Sunday morning and our second guest today, Rick Murray, photographer, storyteller, Sumner County uh, superstar, because everybody knows him. Uh, (laughs) Rick, um, uh, I just wanted to talk a little bit about... uh, you know, for, I mentioned in the first segment that there was something that I thought you did. Like, photographer can really touch people. You're not going to touch everybody with every picture. However, there are certain things that speak to certain people, and the one I recall was of the procession on uh, on the 386 of the officer. That's that's the one I remember. I don't know why there are lots of funeral processions, but that one kind of got to me. And probably a lot of people.
4: Uh, it got to the photographer, too. It, it uh, That was a hard thing to cover. Uh, I knew Spencer Bristol. Um, he had actually graduated from station camp a year before my sons graduated, so so mm-hmm. we knew him. And uh, when I found out about it, the police department, the Police Department reached out to me and asked me, they said, would you help us with a project, and I said, what is that? And they said, we want to document everything that has to do with, uh, with Spencer's uh, passing,
3: yeah. with his
4: ceremony, with uh, the funeral itself, with the, anything going on, and we want to get those images to his wife and, and his daughter when she gets older, so that they can remember that her husband and her daddy um, was a hero. Right. And, that and the whole community rallied community. behind it. Right. Yeah, exactly. Right. So I spent a week covering everything that, that went on that week, um, everything then, to it. I think I ended up giving the family about 950 images, something like that. Mm-hmm. But uh, the one that stands out in my mind the most, you're right, is the one that I shot from the, the Stop 30 overpass.
1: Yeah, that was a very powerful picture. I'm sure you've gotten comments about that over the years as well.
4: I have, I have, and, uh, you know, it's one of those things, there's a fine, when you're doing photojournalism type work, there's a fine line between you want to tell the story, um, but you don't want to embellish the story, you don't want to take advantage of a situation, but sometimes you just see something um, composition-wise that just draws you in, and and that shot was one of those. It, It just, I thought this, this, this is telling it right here. When you see all those vehicles surrounding the, the hearse, bringing his his body back, and then you see that line of vehicles in the past uh, behind it, that's mm-hmm. that's respect. We yeah. should all hope that uh, someday we have that kind of respect when it's our time.
1: Well, when you were talking uh, just a, a little bit ago about the integrity and you you want to cover it, but you don't want to be a part of it, uh, it seems to me you could give a seminar to every. Uh, uh, journalists, uh, so-called journalists in New York and D.C., because <laughs> clearly that's out the window. Uh, but anyway, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, sometimes I'm a little embarrassed to be in this business um, the way things have gone, but it is what it is. Let's not open that can of worms.
4: <laughs> um, well, I, I'm glad that on. you are in it and that you feel that way, because we need to keep people uh, that have attitudes like that in the business, and that, that'll that help Oh, I'll say. Ship out there, but, you know, at the end of the day, the story is the story, and it needs to be told um, accurately, and it needs to be told in a timely basis, um, and it doesn't need to be about the person telling the story.
1: Exactly, and that's the big difference, and I think people forget the story is the hero, not the person telling it, so... Anyway. Absolutely. Um so you do do some work for the newspapers and other things. How did that come about and how does that work and do they have multiple I guess I should ask Dave that. Uh but, um you know <laughs> outsourcing and freelancing obviously is a big part of it.
4: Yes, yes. I uh, when I retired I I made a pledge to myself that I would never work for any one entity as an employee again. Uh it's just I did that for almost 40 years and filled that bucket uh, and again and again and again. So I work on a freelance basis. Um, I uh, actually, uh, you, you mentioned Dave, I, I shoot for Main Street Media. Before that, I shot for the Tennessee um, the, and the local outlets of the Tennessee and occasionally the actual Tennessee itself. Uh, I also um, am the editor and chief writer and photographer of Henderson Lifestyle Magazine, uh, mm-hmm. so I've been doing that since our inception a couple of years ago. Um, all of these things, though, they, they keep me plugged into the community because you can't produce newspapers and you can't produce um, magazines, and you know this from radio programs or television programs, you can't produce unless you have content. And the only way to get content is to seek it out. And the best best content that you get is when people know you, they they see you. I think some of the best compliments that I've ever heard in my life have been when I've showed up events and I hear, oh, thank goodness you're here.
1: Right, exactly. We know and, we
4: know our story will be told. Right, thank you for being here.
1: And it doesn't just that end with news stories insane. and events. I mean, I've seen you at ribbon cuttings, and uh, you know, oh, where, yeah. wherever yeah. two or more are gathered, you seem to be uh, lurking. <laughs> and you know, <laughs> well, part of it isn't isn't part of photographer being a photographer is is learning how to lurk a little and not be in the middle of it. But wow, it's all of a sudden. I didn't know you captured this. I didn't know you caught that picture, or
4: you know, right. And that, that is also a compliment when people say, how did you do that? I didn't see you get that. Yeah. And that means I was doing my job. I yeah. was the proverbial fly on the wall at that point in time. But that's the way you, you've got to do it. You've got to be stealthy.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So tell us about the storyteller portion of, uh, of Rick. Tell me, you know, how okay, uh, what have you done? Well, and what I, are some I, of the things that you like to do?
4: Okay. I have always liked to write. And um, didn't really realize it. It was one of those things that I realized when I was in the corporate world that just about everything that was brought to me uh, for review or proofing, I, I rewrote because I, I just didn't think that it was either was it grammatically incorrect or it just it didn't flow. It didn't tell whatever story we were trying to tell, uh, whether it was financially or or whatever. It just didn't do what I wanted it to do. So I, I gradually, much like on the photography side or, or on the presentation side, where I worried at least as much about how the graphics looked and how it flowed in style, I felt the same way about the text. I, I, I think that I see stories as having a, a prose component uh, and having a visual component. And while a picture can tell the thousand words, a really good picture coupled with a really good thousand words tells a much better story. Mm-hmm. Because so, yeah, oh, uh, over the years, I, I guess I I gradually transitioned you know, the last four years from enjoying j or excuse me, enjoying just photographing events to thinking that you know. I not only want to photograph this event, I want to tell the story behind the event. There's no reason for the newspaper to send two people out or to send uh, the magazine to send two people out. I can do it all.
1: Yeah, which and, is uh which is really nice for them because not a lot of people can. Which is fine, you know.
4: Yeah, and, and it's fine and and you know, it it's just it's one of those things I feel very fortunate to be able to do that. I I listen, I am most grateful. To having some of the best English teachers in my life, uh, both in high school and in college, and then my wife is a retired English teacher, so she proofs a lot of my work and makes sure that um, that I look a lot better than I probably
1: should. <laughs> so we call her Mrs. Grammarly. <laughs> 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 exactly. Uh, hey, I Rick. Call so, her uh, genius. Yeah. Uh, so, of all of the things that you've photographed over the years or covered. Um, can you tell us about your favorite and the one that was the hardest for you?
4: Uh, let's start with the hardest first. That's, uh, that's, that's easy because it's 10 years ago this weekend from the flood. Yeah. Uh, the great Nashville, Hitters uh, Middle Tennessee flood. And I captured a photo of, uh, two, well, at the time, two teenagers, um, at, uh, Beach High School, um, that were trapped in floodwaters and appeared to be washed away. And they, as it turned out later, they're fine. We're, we, we've been friends for 10 years. Uh, but at the time of the incident, that that picture, uh, I, I don't like the term went viral, but it did. It made the front page of the Tennessee and it made the USA Today. It made National Geographic and so forth. But what a lot of people don't realize is I couldn't hardly talk about that picture or that event for years afterwards how it do you was, how do was, you
1: see something like that and then not freak out or drop your camera and do what you can to participate um i'm sure people well, were already there but i mean you know what i mean it's, it's oh a,
4: well, there were there was about six there were about 60 or 70 first responders between me and them yeah yeah and you know uh, that, that Your question's good because I've been asked before, But well, what was I supposed to do in the middle of a storm, throw all the gear down, jump out in floodwaters when they couldn't do anything with ropes and exactly. gear and, you know, all that? There was nothing I could do but do my but job. But
1: document it, and that was a big part of it.
4: That's That's all I could do. Yeah. And so, and
1: so, you didn't have uh, to submit it to all of these things. The Tennessean, once people get wind of it, like you said, it just kind of takes a life of its own, and then they're, it, I'm it assuming, just calling and ask for permission and all that.
4: Right, and then it, and it still continues. Last year, uh, I did uh, participated with with a couple that were uh, in the photo. I participated in a Weather Channel show that's been aired several times called Storm Stories, mm-hmm. and um. You know, they, they keep telling it, so it's it's the picture that probably won't go away, but it does kind of tell the story of what was going on that day, at least in, it tells a story in, in Hendersonville. But that being said, one of my favorite pictures is also related to the flood, and it was taken three weeks later, and it's a photo of cleanup uh, occurring at Memorial Park in Hendersonville near the Friendship Bridge. Mm-hmm. And I was over there with my my sons, volunteering. We were cleaning it, and I was documenting it, because that's just what I do. I mean, I had literally a mop in one hand and a camera in the other. But I happened to look off the bridge, and I saw one of the most beautiful sights that I've ever seen. It was two lines of people in a bucket brigade formation getting water out of uh, the creek and then splashing it on muddy areas to try to clean. And while most people just – they just saw – you know people getting water out what i saw is i saw male female young old black white i saw community mm-hmm. that that people coming together people being at their very best that's that to me when you get a shot like that will that will that shot go around the world no it it won't but that told the story better than anything
1: well, maybe everybody ought to take a look at it again, after considering what we've been going through. So, Rick, I want to thank you for taking the time and, and getting our mind off everything uh, we've been going through the last couple of months. It's been enjoyable.
4: Uh, I appreciate you, you having me on, and uh, it, it's my pleasure.
1: Well, the one thing I'll tell you about Rick that I do know is that he's an avid runner, and the guy runs like a half a marathon every day. So don't ever challenge him, but you probably see him out somewhere. <laughs> <laughs> you have your you have your favorite <laughs> routes, right?
4: <laughs> um, I, they vary daily, but yeah, I, I'm pretty much a creature of habit.
1: <laughs> well, that's good. And, and another lesson we could all learn in staying in shape and uh, being healthy, especially uh, nowadays. You know, good, strong health and good immune system is good for everybody. So we hope to start seeing everybody out and about again, right? You're starting to get a few calls and uh, some events coming up.
4: Yes, I, I did a, a couple events last week and a couple this week, and I'm, I'm hoping to, to gradually, safely see things start to, to come back. Now, in, in all fairness, I'm still skittish about if I'm asked to cover an event with a, a large crowd. Right. I, I don't know right. that I'm ready for that. And, and fortunately, the weddings that I had, scheduled for the summer and spring have been pushed off to the fall so well i think everybody Uh, kind of feels that
1: way i I don't think you're alone i think everybody's going to sort of dip their toe into that kind of thing although i think it but you don't appreciate how nice it is to go out and eat uh, until you haven't done it in a long time. And it's not oh, just about yeah. the food. It's about, you know, community, like you said.
4: Or, or get a haircut. Yeah, yeah exactly.
1: <laughs> Rick Murray, uh, storyteller, photographer, Sumner County. And, uh, Rick, we appreciate the time. You have a great week, and stay safe, and uh, we'll see you, I'm sure of that.
4: You too, my friend.
1: All right, take care. Rick Murray, ladies and gentlemen, and that's our show for today. We appreciate uh, Rick and also John Isbell. Uh, for being our guest today on Sumner County Spotlight, brought to you by F&M Bank at 221 Indian Lake Boulevard and at myfmbank.com. We thank them for their sponsorship, and we'll talk to you again next Sunday morning here on WHIN at 10 a.m.
0: Sumner County Spotlight has been brought to you exclusively by FNM Bank, 221 Indian Lake Boulevard in Hendersonville. Whether you need personal banking, banking for your business, or even home mortgages, FNM Bank can provide you with excellent service right here in Sumner County. Visit them today at myFMbank.com. Sumner County Spotlight will return next Sunday at 10 a.m. Thanks for listening.